Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. We got that kitten mitten, snuggly cat. We got that kitten mitten, snuggly cat. Okay, now what? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> that, we came in pretty strong with that. Um, so it's all downhill. From it's all here. downhill from here. So uh, welcome, friends, to uh, our first episode of Baptism of Fire. Uh, welcome to the Baptism of Fire era. Diplo horns. Yeah, this is our first chapter. Uh, we're kind of doing it a little on the fly tonight. Uh, so normally we do like a wine review or a beer review. Um, today we're being a little experimental. I am making a mixed drink, which I have very mixed results with my mixed drinks. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, see what you did there. Well, I mean, it's kind of, okay. Just because I made one drink one time called the storm drain doesn't mean that, uh, my mixed drinks are all terrible. Just, doesn't it? Just a significant portion of them. Okay. It was Everclear, Diet Coke and triple sec. Horrifying. And I think maybe bitters. It it looked like cloudy, like drain water. I can still see it in my nightmares. (laughs) It wasn't bad. Sure. It wasn't particularly good either. Like everything possible. (laughs) Like you threw in everything possible. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, when you throw Everclear into the mix, you kind of have to dilute it a lot. That's why I usually don't mix in Everclear. Yeah, I don't think Everclear is usually a mixing beverage. Um, I know we had bought it for making vanilla extract, and we did. You did go a little while with it, though. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I said, you know, or like we said, I started mixing it in into things, and it, it doesn't. It's not a casual drinking corn mash. <laughs> It is a it is a wild. I don't think and, that's ever been on any bottle of corn mash. I don't think it's like this is a, a easy drinkable <laughs> light beverage that you can just consume any day of the week. Perfect for pool parties, bar mitzvahs, and uh, when you're consuming it, you know you have a problem. You're, yeah, this is this is <laughs> this especially is, straight up. I mean, like it's even worse. Any liquor that you put like that, there's an actual warning label on it that says like keep away from open flame. I think <laughs> yes, might, that is the line. <laughs> might need to be taken with a grain of sand and like a a significant warning. Like, <sighs> so how does it feel to be in the baptism of fire era? It does feel pretty good. Like uh, the first chapter is pretty fun. Um, I'm really excited because you can you can feel the D and D party set up. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're in the call to adventure space. Oh, yeah, that is that is technically the call to adventure, isn't it? So we're starting off slow, contemplative, mm-hmm. figuring out who our cast of characters is going to be. Like we have Geralt, of course, mm-hmm. but we already mm-hmm. know Geralt. Like we need to make, get some new people. Yeah, yeah. Put some new people in the mix. And yeah, yeah. So this chapter, we meet a brand new character. Ooh. And the first, I guess like, Dandelion would be the first official member of the party. Okay. okay. But um, yeah, she there. is like the third member of the party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The second like 
member of the party other than Geralt and like the third member overall. Mm-hmm. I see me personally. Um, I would not base any, I would not found any party on a bard. Well, you can't found. Well, Geralt <laughs> That's just is not really a good idea. Piece, though. I mean, like Geralt is like the main D&D guy. Like he's, okay. he's the character that's jumping into dark holes and fighting basilisks. Yeah. 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 He is. So others are flocking around him because he needs a supporting cast. Yeah, you usually don't form a party around a damage dealer either, but you can. That's a little bit more stable than a bard, at least. Bards are always just accessory characters, no matter what. So what is the ideal character to found your party around? You usually start the party around, like, the meat shield or, like, the caster. Is Geralt not a meat shield? No, he's not a meat shield. Well, no, no, he's not a meat shield. He's, He's sturdier than most, like, damage dealers, but he's not a meat shield. Okay, all right, well... Let's just say that we're going to build our party around a damage dealer because we are. Yeah. Okay. And so we're in the call to adventure space and we're meeting a lot of new characters. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, are you feeling the excitement? Are you feeling the buildup? I'm so excited. I don't feel it from you. I need a little more excitement. I need you to turn it up a notch. I am so excited. I know it's a Tuesday night. I, I just need you to crank it up a little bit. Say I, it like and you mean it. I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. Okay, like quoting the Pointer Sisters is not going to get you anywhere, even though it is a great song. Classic. I I was going to say, I think it might just get me some brownie points with you. (laughs) I'm excited, okay? I'm excited, damn it. I am. I am excited. I'm excited. Are you ready for things to pop off? I am ready for things to pop off. Pop off to bring it back to rock gut liquors. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> My insides just turned over. So things are about to pop off. Mm-hmm. And chapter one is the beginning of everything. Mm-hmm. It's the foundation. Yep. Are Once again, ready? we're we're meeting we're meeting D and D party characters. So uh fortunately there's no taverns involved in this one. Um there's no shady tavern that constantly seems to follow the main character around. it's a bit of a lazy plot device (laughs) okay sometimes dms get lazy (laughs) and they really need you to get into that plot hook i'm in the middle of a field with no one around for 400 miles but you see a tavern to your right (laughs) where did the tavern come from (laughs) it's just always been there don't ask too many questions there's no taverns in broke lawn there are if the dm needs there to be There, but I just I still don't see a you tavern see a tavern. In you see a tavern, you're thirsty, you go into the okay, tavern. Okay, we're in a tavern now. <laughs> okay, so you see a figure looking at lurking from the corner. Oh god, is it Rhines? No. Is it no. Vilgefortz? No, he's 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 doing other things. Oh he's busy. He could not he's be busy. made available. He doesn't like hanging around in like run of the mill taverns. That's true. He likes a... Uh... What would he like to drink? I think he like straight up gin or like. Mm. He's more of a mead kind of guy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Volgafortz is definitely more of a mead kind of guy. It's it's obscure. Um, it's kind of. And there's some depth to it, you know, um, and it's, it's kind of a Volgefortz less known craft. The blood of his enemies. That seems like. No, he's not. He's not a monster. He's close no. to a monster. He's 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 
he's like he is bad guy that doesn't mean that he is bad guy <laughs> okay <laughs> you're you're saying I, there, I did quote there, are Ralph there. Layers, there are more layers to Velgaport than yes, we're seeing. He's okay. he's he he just wants to do evil things. He's not a monster. Okay. I mean, I I'll take your word for it since you seem to have a close relationship yeah, with him. We talk a lot. That's great. I'm yeah. glad you guys are getting close. Yeah, we we're getting pretty close, so but he does want us to move into the long and the skinny. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I know he likes that section a lot. He he does actually. He's he is he is very much about like f figures and facts and like uh, historical recountings because there's power in knowledge, and he knows this. I could see him sitting by his like Victrola with tiny glasses, taking notes. That's that's a he's Vogelfortz is an evil hipster. Oh, okay, is, is right. really actually I'm getting, what he I'm is. Getting a, a better sense of who he is. Yes, as a person. yes, that is absolutely who he is. So, shall we move into our into our summary section? Sure. Okay, I'm gonna leave this to your into your capable hands. So we open on a new character, and okay. she's in the forest. She? Ooh. She's um, not in a tavern. Sorry, John Mark. Oh, damn it. We get, there's a tavern to her right. Okay, there's a tavern somewhere. The DM needs this to happen. Well, she can't see the tavern. It's an invisible tavern. So she's it, not going to. It doesn't to matter. Make... The tavern's there. Okay, fine. Does she have if a perception above one? <laughs> then she we're, sees we're the tavern. Gonna, we're not going to roll for perception, okay? <sighs> okay, fine. She's focusing a lot on the birds and the undergrowth um, because she's hunting. Are there by chance bees in the undergrowth as well? Just birds. No bees. Another chapter. No one's ever going to teach me about the birds and the bees. No. All right. We are inside Brokelon, and we're getting to know this new character who is named Miltha. Oh. There has been two months of heavy drought that has prevented a lot of moving while hunting. Um, crunchy leaves are not good for um, hunting because they scare off all of the local wildlife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she um, focuses a lot on her bow and how it's constructed. Mm-hmm. Right away, we realize she's a very experienced archer. Yes. Yep. Um, she's had a lot of bows over the years, and she describes the bows she's had in detail. She has like a personal relationship with each one of her bows. Um, so she had a, a beautiful whalebone composite bow um, that had a 55-pound uh, draw. Draw. Yep. And twenty-four inch shoot. <laughs> we're we're gonna struggle a little bit with I, the archery term. I know a little bit of archery. I've done it. I do enjoy it actually. Anytime I've done it, but um, I I know what it's describing. It, so mm -hmm. it, it's it's just, it's describing the the distance between the resting position and the pulled position. Um, so normally, like a big bow has like a like probably like a forty-inch draw. So when you, when you have it fully extended. It's out, you know, you go from 40, 40 inches of deflection from resting to fully extended. Um, so hers only goes 24 inches. So it's very, very short. Um, and she has a 55 pound draw, um, which is the, so their bows are rated in weight. Um, and it's, it's how much power and how much, how much force it takes to pull the, the bow back. Um, Usually more power pulled back means more force delivered to the target. 
um, when you hit it with the with the arrow. She actually emphasized the fact that uh, she preferred this bow, which has a 55-pound draw, which is actually pretty light-ish. It's light-ish. Um, as someone who has, has done archery before, 55 pounds is actually pretty heavy. <laughs> but for someone who's more professional mm-hmm. and does it like regularly, regularly, like that would be pretty light. Um, I told the story of trying to pull my, my cousin's uh, compound bow back. Um, it had a 100-pound draw on it, and at the time... I was kind of small and squishy and hadn't been lifting in a while. And I tried to, I tried to pull it. I couldn't, I couldn't even get it over the, over the lock. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, um, she, she preferred that because one of the main things is that on, on a non-compound bow, um, when you pull it all the way back, you're holding 55 pounds of pressure and you're holding it and holding it and holding it. And if you have to hold it for a very long time, that gets very, very tiring, very, very quick. Right. So having 55 pounds to pull back is actually kind of advantageous because if she can hold it for a very long time, she can be very patient with her shot. Um, she did also mention that this was this was the last bow that she settled on. She had a couple other like she had like an elk antler bow and like some some U bows that had been made with like sinew and things like that, but like this was the Stradivarius of bows for her. Like this was her baby. Like yeah, she had worked through several different materials, but this is the mm-hmm. one she had settled on, and it, she hasn't regretted trading in her old bow and mm-hmm. several other things for it. it yeah, was like totally she worth it. she basically like talks about coming across this thing in the market and selling like literally like everything that she owned and everything that she had on her to get mm-hmm. this bow, even the one that she had been using, which was like already a very fancy beautiful bow that she loved a lot um she sold it for this bow so yeah so she's in the forest and she's hunting and so she draws back her bow she's waiting for something to come by but nothing's coming by so far she um instead sort of wanders back into her memories and she starts thinking about how she met the witcher Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so she met the Witcher, two months after the events at the Ned. So mm-hmm. we know that yep. that was roughly July. She met him in September. Do do we know that it was July? They mentioned the date a lot. Oh, do they? It okay. happened in July. <laughs> I'm I'm really bad with tracking like dates and numbers and time. So I, yeah, I, I like I probably didn't even notice it. So she met him in the fall. And fall is somewhat of a significant time period because it helps us mark the years since Geralt met Ciri. So mm-hmm. autumn is another year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many years at this point, but just something Ooh, to note. That's a that's a good point. And um, the Dryads had summoned Milva mm. um, to a healing place. It's a place where they put them in the magical waters of Brooklawn. You may remember these waters as what they tried to give Siri. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. When she was in Brooklawn, um the waters of clarity that would basically purge her of all memories, but yep. they also have healing <laughs> properties, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's also this special weed that they mm-hmm. use to heal people. And so, um she assumed when they summoned her that She's a big rescuer of elves at this mm-hmm, point mm-hmm. because we know the Squayatel have been turned against by everyone. Everyone. <laughs> and so she has helped lead the elves to safety and she's mm. no she has relationships with them. She's sort of infiltrated that community to an extent. Yeah. They, yep. they do trust her. Mm. And so she assumed she was being summoned to the healing place. 
um, because there was an elf that needed her help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead, she found the witcher yep, and she yep. was like, what the hell? Like, this is not my thing. Yep. Not here for this. And um, so the healer tells her that this man needs help. He's mm-hmm. wounded. Um, and he like needs information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, she thinks like first of all like she's a, a little freaked out that he's he's awake like usually mm-hmm, you're not mm-hmm. awake when you're being healed in the waters and with the herb like usually yeah, you're like yep. having seizures and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's wide awake and mm-hmm. like this is the first time i think she's ever seen a witcher mm-hmm. and she's freaked out because she's like now you see my face like she's somewhat of a spy and mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. Like she's very secretive about her identity, so the fact that he's seen her face, she immediately, like, is yeah, afraid. Yep. Um, and then she's also like, "It's not my job to help him," and she tells the healer as much. And like, she's getting kind of angry and in the healer's face, and the healer's like, "I don't know what you're getting so angry about. I'm yeah. just, I'm just <laughs> asking a simple question." Yep. Yep. Um, she seems very uh, stoic and. Right away, we're learning something about Milva, that mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm. animated, that she cares about things a mm-hmm, lot. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a fully fleshed out and dynamic character who's already dropped into the first chapter of the book. Hmm. I wonder what she might be doing for the rest of the book. She knows a little bit about the Witcher's backstory as well. Mm-hmm. She knows that he teleported here with a uh, chestnut haired sorceress who was mm-hmm. weeping over him. And she's uh, like, Tris, <clears throat> yes, she's like, who's ever seen a sorceress weep? That's bizarre. She did. Yeah, she did distinctly comment on that. And that that's a recurring. That's a that's a theme that was brought up when uh, Yen was tra- uh, Yennefer was training Siri. Um, Nothing's uglier than a weeping sorceress. Yes. Yes. So I, I thought that was an interesting little throwback there. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting throwback as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So she knows that the Witcher was somehow involved in the events of the Ned, which have spread across the continent. Mm-hmm, like news mm-hmm. of the events have spread and she thinks of him as a traitor. Yeah. Yep. And so she tells the healer, like, go to hell, tell him to go to hell. I don't want to help him. But then Lady Ethne, mm-hmm. who is the leader, um, who we've met before. Yeah. Yep. She was the woman that wanted to take Ciri into Brooklawn as a young dryad. Mm-hmm. And Lady Ethne asked her personally to help the Witcher. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Milva says, like, I've already been doing so much. Like, mm-hmm. I know I owe you a lot. Like, I know that I owe you and Broke Lawn and the Dryads a lot. But at the same time, like, this is putting me at a lot of risk. A lot of danger. Getting information during a time of war and a time of contempt to Mm -hmm. name check the last (laughs) book (laughs) is very dangerous. And she's already trying to avoid the cities because she knows that if she's recognized, then Mm -hmm. she can't Mm -hmm. be the best help she can to the elves. Yes. Yep. Lady Ethne says, tough, like, help him. That's an order. Yep. Yep. So Milva starts out this mission of helping him without really wanting to. Mm-hmm. It's very reluctant. So Milva goes back to present day where she's hunting. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, she discusses a little bit more about her arrows. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I said, throughout this book, we're really... Um, she's an archery nerd. 
throughout this chapter, we're really learning about her expertise. Yeah, yeah. Expertise is a better word for it. She is a bit of a archery nerd. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very endearing. So, like, she talks about how, like, so she buys the shafts in bulk because they're just too much of a pain in the neck to make. And as long as they're straight, they don't really matter all that much. Right. But she buys them unfletched and untipped. Um, she makes the tip herself, uh, makes them like sharp enough that you can shave with. Um, I don't remember what she makes the tips out of, but um, she does make. Um, she fletches with a spiral pattern. She fletches with a spiral pattern, which I thought was very interesting. And I'll get to that in a second. But she she talks about how like buying pre-fletched arrows. So the fletching is the little feathery bit at the end of the arrow. Um, it's the it's what keeps the aerodynamics of the arrow straight. Think of them like fins on a missile. They keep it from they keep it flying straight. Um, she complains that pre-fletched arrows only come out to like they're only like two inches long, um, so they're not aerodynamic enough. Uh, so she fletches them out to five inches, um, so they have little five-inch fins. So they're very very long fletchings. Um, and then she spi- she she does it in a corkscrew or in a spiral pattern, mm-hmm. which interestingly would cause a rifling technique. Oh yes, and uh, and it, it was a nice little homage that like it, to to some actual like flight physics um, that like it, it I thought it was an interesting aside that like it's something that she knew from her experience, but there she didn't actually have a reason behind it and didn't mention a reason behind it. But what it would do is it would cause the the arrow to rifle um, and spin and twist in the air, um, which causes it to maintain a true and and straight path more accurately oh interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she has been hunting throughout her life mm-hmm. she um remembers her first hunts she mm-hmm. um shot a 14 point buck on her 14th birthday yep. which she was enormously proud of uh so a 14 point buck would mean that it has 14 tips on its antlers I was um, just picturing a big one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th- that's actually a gauge of like how big they usually are because the older they are, the more points they have on their antlers, um, meaning their their antler rack is bigger uh, as they get older. Um, they shed them every year, but they regrow them bigger every year. Um, so yeah, like th- this is a monster buck. Like I know people that talk about for years getting like a 10 or 11 point buck. So mm-hmm. getting a 14 point buck the thing is probably 10 years old and like probably pushing over 200 pounds as a big deer at 14 years old too. Yes. And she's been hunting for her whole life. So it's a huge part of her identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so she recalls at this point um, that when she returned from her first information seeking when she returned um, from her first information seeking or gathering mm-hmm. uh, period, she um, meets up with Geralt. And by this point, he's actually up and walking before yeah, he was yeah. just lying down. It's miraculous that he is healing so quickly mm-hmm. because it usually takes a lot longer. And we know that this is partly due to him being a witcher and having yeah, Wolverine-like yeah. healing um, but even for him, this injury, the femur shattering, yeah, it, yep. it's rough. Yeah. Um, but he's still sort of hobbling. I mean, it, he's not like 100% by mm-hmm. any means. And she does comment that the, it's like three days later. And like she was not expecting him to be like moving for 
like a month. Yeah. And um, the first thing that she asked Geralt is if Codringer and Dorian was a close friend of his. Ooh. And right away, Geralt sort of says no, but it's clear that he knows what she's about mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells about the fire and about Codringer's death and how a lot of people had rumored maybe he was dabbling in black magic, mm-hmm. like maybe mm-hmm. someone he was working with often. They knew he was a fixer. Milva also proposes maybe Codringer knew something about the events of the Ned. Yep, yep. Geralt is apologetic and contemplative here. Um, he says, I'm sorry that I asked you to do something that was very dangerous. And mm-hmm. Milva mm-hmm. comes from a very defensive place and she's like, what? Is it because I'm a woman? And um, she, like, kind of takes her balls out here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want to use that phrase, but, like, that, no, no, that she, is this she, moment. She, she, she said, slaps her dick on the table. And she's like, like, my coat is lined with wolf skins, not coney fur. Mm. You don't know me. Mm. So coney fur being rabbit skin or rabbit fur, which would be considered, like, luxury. And she's basically saying, like, I wear a leather jacket, not a mink fur coat. Yes. Like, I'm not, don't don't underestimate me. And Geralt actually responds here very well. And, like, he's, like, kind of almost expecting this response Mm -hmm, from her. mm -hmm. And he says, I I do know you. You're Milva. You lead Lost Goyatel to safety, and your Mm -hmm. courage is legendary. It's a bit of a game-recognizes game moment. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason I'm talking to you and coming to you, because I know who you are. So she also talks about she's had like these contacts. Most of her contacts are elves Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and particularly one named Falotierna Mm -hmm. and how he and the Scoia'tael command have become quite a nuisance lately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, She says that a lot of the elves are asking about Geralt and Ciri, Mm -hmm. um, specifically a witcher and a ashen haired woman. Mm -hmm. And that there's a huge bounty on both his and Ciri's head right now. Mm-hmm. But she's almost enjoying like soliciting negative reactions from him. I think because she's angry about being assigned to this. Yeah. And yep. so she tells Geralt that on the Isle of the Ned, they mm-hmm. found only like just rubble. Mm-hmm. And like he goes completely ashen faced. Like the blood drains from his face and yeah. he almost collapses. And she like immediately regrets what she said. Yeah, yeah she was doing uh, what some people like to refer to as malicious compliance, hmm. um, which is where I'm going to do this. In this case, it would be I'm going to just deliver all of the news in the most brutal way possible because I'm I'm still doing my job. I'm just doing it in a way that you didn't want, it, like, like paying a parking ticket in pennies. Yeah, and she's like calling for healers, and girls like, no, no, like, yeah, yeah, go on. Um, and then she feels bad. Yep. And Ooh, like as he's bad. passed out, she like goes over to him and she like, you know, is almost like, I'm so sorry. Him and she's <laughs> yeah. Like, they didn't find a body. Yeah. Like yeah. your girl is not there. Like yeah. they, they didn't find her. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, like kind of almost able to exhale. But this really changes how she views him. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she's like, oh, he really cares about this girl. Yeah, like yeah. there is a special relationship. And she's like, I'll do anything to help you. Yes. I will do <laughs> anything to help you yes. find this girl. And it's weird because this is one of those scenes where like we, we know that, in a D&D chart, Geralt's charisma score would not be very high. 
but it's weird because it is actually higher than you would expect um, because he does just win people over. Like he just does it. Like, <laughs> and I think it's just because he does have a big heart and he just, and sometimes people see that and they just, they immediately jump on team Geralt. Yeah. We'll talk more about this in the analysis, yeah, but yep. I, I found this very interesting mm-hmm. because like, um, I said this during um, our reading. Milva is really a female Geralt. Yes. <laughs> yes. She is absolutely girl Geralt. Like she has the same tough exterior, mm-hmm. but sort of a gooey interior. And I think Wait, here. One, one second. Winds howling. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not proud of that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Milva is. Um, recognizing that Geralt has more layers and mm, yeah, she actually yeah. wants to help him now. Yeah, she's yeah. like now on team Geralt, like yeah, whatever you yeah. need. She says she's heading out in three days again and she'll be back right before Lamas, which is the fall festival. Um, and Geralt is like, thank you. Like I, mm-hmm. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And um, she's calling him, um, like Gwen Blade, which is yeah, his yep. um his dryad name. It's his dryad name. Yeah, it means yep. White Wolf. And he tells her, Call me Geralt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she extends her hand and introduces herself and says, I'm Maria Baring. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time like she's told mm-hmm. anyone her real name. Yeah, actually that was the uh, thank you for pointing that out when we read it because I did not catch that at all. Even when she mentioned it, like she, she mentions that later in the chapter, but like, I didn't notice it in the, in the scene at the time was that like only her closest friends call or know who her, or know her real name, which is Maria. Maria Baring. Maria Baring. Yep. And Geralt says, um, he, he's very like vulnerable in this Mm -hmm, chapter, mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. Like it really follows up on um, the changes that happened to him mm, during mm. time of contempt. Like it's really reflected. Yeah. Yep. And he tells her, look, be careful. Mm-hmm. Like, even yeah. though I know that you're okay, like don't put yourself at an unnecessary risk. Yeah. This is just information. Like I'd like it. It would help a lot, but don't, <laughs> don't risk your life over it. It's not worth that. Your sources, do you trust them? Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. asks. And Maria says, I trust no one. <laughs> okay, Mulder. <laughs> she she actually says, I don't trust anyone. But yeah, like, yeah. you just know that. <laughs> trust no one. I, I do really think of Fox Mulder in this moment. Yeah. And honestly, like knowing Anse, it could have been a quick little reference. No, at the time it might have been because this would have been in like the later 90s. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, it would have been. That's definitely a reference. Trust no one. Yeah, that is is 100%. You know that Anse is a huge sci-fi nerd. We know this. He, yeah, that was definitely a reference. So we cut to our old buddy Dijkstra here Mm -hmm. and uh, he's back. uh, He's, sort of recovered from the events of the Ned. He's back in his uh no, he's, his tower. He's still, he's still walking around with a in a in a cast, I thought. But he's recovered emotionally. He's back okay. he's back to business. <laughs> he's emotionally recovered. He's recovered on the inside at least. Um so Dijkstra um is told that the Witcher is in Brokelon among the dryads. It's been confirmed. And uh like his 
Lackey is asking, like, do you want us to kill him? Like, mm-hmm. do, do you want we to can give kill the him. order to kill him? Do you want us to kill him? Like, we can, can we lure kill him? him out of Brokelon. We can kill him. And Dijkstra's like, eh, leave him alone for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, what about the informer? What about Maria Baring, the spy mm-hmm. that the Witcher has working for him? And Dijkstra's like, eh, leave her alone, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he he says, like, further expanding on that, I won't let the Witcher get away with that. I couldn't mm-hmm. walk for a week and had to lose face with Philippa. I yeah. had to ask her to cast a spell, like, a healing spell on my ankle. Yep, yep. That he twisted. <laughs> He's got a grudge. I had to, I, I had to yeah, that, that's the thing. He's not upset about the fact that he, that like Geralt shattered his ankle. He's upset about the fact that he had to ask Philippa for help. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it was an ego thing. Yeah. Him, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, so his secretary, Ori Reuven, um Who is his brother, by the way? I think it's his brother. Yeah, he's he's Siggy Rubin. He's Siggy Rubin. I think that's that's his brother. Mm -hmm. And so um, his his brother, who is also his secretary, opens the window, and Dijkstra's like, "What's that racket?" And Ori is like, "It's the the students that are throwing rocks at the Nilfgaardian garrison." Uh, No, the Nilfgaardian embassy. The Nilfgaardian embassy. We paid them to do it, and uh, well, actually, so or he Ori opens the window. And there's a huge racket outside. And Dijkstra is like, what the hell is that god-awful noise? And uh, Ori's like, oh, it's the, the students uh, throwing rocks at the Nilfgaardian embassy. And Dijkstra's like, well, that's so terrible. It's so much noise. And then Ori's like, well, we paid them to do that. <laughs> yes. And Dijkstra's and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Dijkstra's cool. Confused. He's like, yeah, have those teenagers go over to uh, Giancardi's bank and mm-hmm. throw rocks at them. And Ori says... Well, they made a donation to the Redanian cause. And he's like, oh, well, have them throw rocks at the banks that didn't give us a donation. Yeah. And Ori says, well, but well, they all, all did. did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Deke's just like, oh, you're no fun. Well, Nothing's that, any fun anymore. Well, that's just boring. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they do the things that we wanted them to do? I think Deekster likes a little bit of uh, enforcement. He, he likes the drama. He likes the... He likes the 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 mess and the niss the nissiness, <laughs> the the ness, you know. Uh, Dijkstra starts dictating a letter to Philippa and uh, has to stop himself from saying "dear Phil" because I think there's been a uh, a falling out of their romantic mm, mm. connection recently. Well, okay, so did they ever actually have like a an actual romantic connection? Yeah. Oh, they did. It's even mentioned in this chapter. Oh, I don't think I ever realized that their relationship was romantic. Like I knew they were like close and like they worked together heavily, but like I didn't realize there was a romantic connection there. Yeah, it's referenced by one of the mages later um, okay, at okay. Monte Calvo, and they reference her having an extramarital affair mm. with him for three years. Wait, either one of those, either one of them was Dijkstra married. Was married. What? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Dijkstra starts dictating a letter to Philippa. Mm-hmm. Has to correct himself about how he addresses her. Mm-hmm. Yep. And starts informing her that the Witcher is in Brokelon and that he will ensure that news of Ciri's pending marriage to Amir gets to him shortly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he also dictates it's really unusual that Geralt has not tried to reach out or get information about Yennefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also says in very strong language, I hope you share with me all of the things you know, because mm-hmm. I share everything with you. There are no secrets I keep from you, which we know is a bold face lie. Or he starts snickering in the corner. Um, and like Deke's just like, what? What are you snickering about? And uh, he's like, nothing, nothing. <laughs> nothing, nothing He also dictates that he's worried that Philippa knows where Yennefer is or if Mm, she's like a mm. traitor to Nilfgaard or not. That's information that Dijkstra doesn't really know yet. Yep, yep. Um, He reviews, after he's done dictating, he reviews the backstory of Mm. Nilfa, which is some convenient uh, background for us. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. She apparently was born in the woods in Upper Sodden. We've mm. been to Sodden before. It's yep. where the big war took place mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the big battle took place yep. at the beginning of uh, the conflict between Nilfgaard and the allies. That was several years ago, though. That all of the mages participated in. Mm-hmm. She was born in the woods of Upper Sodden, mm-hmm. taught survival by her father, and um, that's where that hunting training comes in. Yeah, she yep. learned after... Her brother died. Mm. She was the the new boy of the family. Yeah, yeah. Like he taught her everything she knew. Mm. Later, her um, mother remarried after her father's death, and mm. she didn't like her new stepfather, so she ran away. No one does. I mean, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she was later taken in by the dryads and broke lawn. And since then, she has um, been doing special missions for mm. them. Mm-hmm. She leads, or she did lead, human expeditions through Brokolon several times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And each time the Dryads would attack, and each time Milva would drag one person out who would claim her as a hero. Yeah, oh man, she saved me. Everyone else was murdered. It was horrible. But she put so much effort into getting me out of there safely. What a hero she is. And she was able to do that successfully. Like, like three or four times. Like five or six times. <laughs> oh, really? Until uh, the humans started asking questions. Wait a minute. Like, how is she always surviving? Always the one that survives. Claims to be an expert. In, and all of her expeditions get attacked. That's not a good track record. <laughs> and uh, she is found out and sort of ends up proceeding back into mm. Broke Lawn and becoming a guide for elves instead of humans. Mm, um, mm. One of the funny comments Seekstra makes is she was a guide, but she was a guide leading them to their demise. Yeah, she she knew where she was taking them. It wasn't where they wanted to go. <laughs> and for this, she is nicknamed Red Kite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she has several other nicknames as well. Yeah, yeah which we find out a little later. Yeah, and I just kind of, in the notes, I referred to her as Milva. M- Milva, Milva because... means red kite. Oh, oh yeah, in, yeah. In okay. Dryad and, and Elven. Yeah. Okay. And so we cut back to Milva, and she is um, tracking a buck that she had shot earlier, which you did not mention in your notes, but just pretend that in the earlier flashback, I I told you that she had shot a buck. Yeah, yeah. She Well, she had been hunting... Um, I think earlier in the flashback, she was hunting, she was tracking a buck, and she she got a shot, and she thought that she missed. Okay, I actually know what happened. Okay. So Milva has been tracking this buck, and she got a shot of it, um, and 
the buck um, jumped mm-hmm. when she took her shot mm-hmm. and ran off. Yeah. And she explains that it's not wise to chase after a frightened animal that's yeah, running yeah. away due to adrenaline rush mm-hmm. because typically that's just going to make it more harried and the, mm. they'll drop pretty soon anyway yeah yeah it, it'll probably run farther on a higher adrenaline spike if you chase it basically i think was the logic there at least and so that's why she was waiting a while but mm. now it's been a while and she's tracking that buck and trying to figure out like how well she shot him or where she shot him and uh, she worries like, oh, maybe I like punctured him in the stomach and mm, that's mm-hmm. a much messier kill. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then she sees the arrow. She finds the arrow and it had shot clean through. Mm-hmm. And she realizes from the blood, she explains that when you hit um, like the lungs, it's a different kind of blood. Mm-hmm. It's pinker. It's pink and foamy um, because it's passing through very heavily aerated blood. Um, or if it passes through the digestive tract, it has the smell of the cud on it. Um, so it smells like digestive tract. Um, but, but the heart has rich, dark, dark red, blood. rich blood. Yep. So she, she's like, yes, I got him in the heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as she's, um, trying to find the buck, she remembers about what happened when she saw Geralt again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she had been tasked with, um, like, escorting a Squayatel command that was being routed into Brokelon mm. um, through the woods, like back to safety. Mm. And um, like after that whole ordeal, which was really time consuming, she had to wade through water. It was like a really hard, mm-hmm. um, like really hard fought escorting mission. Yeah, the worst she, kind. <laughs> she came back she was like exhausted and she just wanted to get some sleep but Gerald found her before she was even able to like you know spend the night mm, mm. just sleeping like yeah. recover a little bit maybe and maybe ring my shoes out <laughs> he's already there and uh he's just like what news what news and mm. uh Milva informs him what she knows which is that Siri is in Nilfgaard and she's going to be married to Amir mm. Geralt sort of casually asks, like, you have any information about any sorceresses? Like, it's, you know, it's it's fine. It's casual. But if you happen to come yeah. along, any information, that Maybe she has raven-colored cool. hair or other hair. So, yeah. Hair. Hair. Uh, Maybe she has hair. hair. <laughs> um, and Milva says, like, oh, I don't know anything about that. But I know that there was a sorceress that killed herself. Geralt doesn't linger uh, very long on that. And he asks right away, like, do the elves have any riderless horses? Like, Mm -hmm, can I I grab a horse? And uh, she says, like, yeah, I think so. Like, where are you in a hurry to? And Mm -hmm. and Geralt's like, I'm riding off, like, on a rescue mission. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he says, like, look, I really appreciate what you did for me. Like, whenever you need me, call out in the night. I will come. I have to ride south into Nilfgaard. Because that's just how it works. You just ride into Nilfgaard. Yes. And back in present day, um, Milva had located the buck. She was starting to clean and process the deer, which she, of course, knows a great deal about. And mm-hmm. she explains how to do it best as she's doing it. And um, she is really worried at this point, like, 
Geralt's not going to make it very far. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, he's not going to make it anywhere near Nilfgaard, like, let alone past, like, whatever war is brewing right on the outskirts of Roquelon. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have any food. He doesn't have any supplies. But she thinks, thanks to this little buck, you at least won't die from starvation. And now we know why she was hunting the buck in the first place. She has a warm heart. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, uh, so... I didn't note the buck earlier in the notes um, that she was hunting because I assumed it was background imagery and I didn't notice that it, I didn't really realize that it was an important plot point <laughs> until like right, halfway Anna. through and, and she starts talking about like why she's tracking it and the important, the weight of tracking it. And I was and like, it, it's a framing device yeah, really yeah. more than anything. Yep. So we cut again to Dijkstra who meets with an important ambassador from Nilfgaard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the ambassador um sort of makes a joke like oh I don't know what to call you anymore like mm-hmm. do I call you your majesty <laughs> what title do I use because you're basically the king of Redania and uh Dijkstra's like your grace is fine like, <laughs> you know it, it's it's cool and um like he's thinking to himself like yeah I am pretty much the acting like ruler right now because mm-hmm. uh king radovid or yeah. prince radovid um Vizimir's son is like 12 years old yeah. and his mom <laughs> like literally has no idea what to do yeah. so he's yeah. like the acting de facto ruler uh interesting side note i learned recently that elon musk has declared himself techno king of tesla and the chief financial officer is the master of coin oh my god those are their official titles okay <laughs> Sorry, interesting side note. Carry on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Um, So, like, Dijkstra could take a title. He could name himself whatever he wants, but he's not really into that. He doesn't actually want to be king. He just wants to have all of the power of the king and none of the responsibility. Call him whatever you want. Like, he just wants the actual, like... Just nothing insulting because he will rip your toes off. Yeah, but he likes the decision-making. He's not so into the formality. Exactly. He's sort of the anti-Amir in that way. Yeah, actually he is. (laughs) And so uh, the ambassador is like, this must be really important for you to summon me and and bypass the the minister of like international affairs. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dijkstra and the ambassador know fully well that this guy is just sitting in the dungeons. The ambassador of foreign affairs is literally in the dungeon getting his toes ripped off. Because it turns out that he was part of this uh, underground effort, this shadow Mm -hmm. government Mm -hmm. for Amir that was trying to uh, take over power from the inside and uh, create chaos, sow chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, And they sort of talk in veiled language about like, this mm-hmm. situation, like Dijkstra says, oh, yeah, he's very sick, taking time to be with family and all that. And, like, then they talk a little bit about the events that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about, like, in very veiled language, the assassination of King Vizimir mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how, like, it was an elf. And, like, oh, isn't that convenient? Yeah, it's Since so you guys weird. have, like, such a really close relationship with elves yeah. in general. Yeah, it's so weird mm-hmm. that, that, like, he just happened to be assassinated on the same day as the the events at Thaned. And it's so weird that it's an elf who killed him. And it's so weird that you guys had 
has such heavy ties to the Squiatel. And it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird that, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, D- declared herself queen over Francesca uh, Findebear. It was Fran- okay. My my brain yeah, was right. Francesca, Francesca Findebear declared herself uh, ruler over Dolblathana. Now, yeah, so strange. It's so strange that it, that that's actually a part of that you guys have annexed. That is a part of Nilfgaard now, huh? Weird. <laughs> really weird. So strange. Uh, like he also informs the ambassador that Nilfgaard is persona non grata right now. Mm-hmm. They don't have any sort of influence here, but um, he's still like talking to him about this mm-hmm. stuff because mm-hmm. he knows there's a benefit to yes. having a conversation, to knowing that letting him know, letting the ambassador mm-hmm. and thereby Amir know he knows what's up. Yeah, this is both a shot across the bow and an attempt at gathering information from the ambassador. Yeah, there's a lot of like quibbling, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, like Dijkstra doesn't recognize Dolblathana as an independent mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. He still recognizes it as part of Adern. Yeah, yep. And um, Dijkstra asks the ambassador, like, if you guys know where Vogelforts and Yennefer are. Mm, like you should mm. extradite them to us. Yeah. Yeah. We want them. We want to know some things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh the ambassador replies like, hmm, I don't know if we can do that since like you've cut off all diplomatic ties. Mm, but if there mm-hmm. was a precedent if there was a precedent, we just might be able to make a deal. Yeah, like if you maybe I don't know, uh, hmm, maybe maybe if you guys handed over somebody that we want. What about K here? Yeah, uh, who is the Black Knight, by the way? Um, yes. Like, yeah, what if what about if you if you come across a K here? Uh, could you just send him over to us? Yeah, like, real quick. Yeah, and, like uh, he's you know he's nobody. Nobody's super interesting, but we're really interested in some things that he did that we don't really like that much. And Dijkstra's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have anyone. By never, that name. never heard never of him. Never heard of yeah, him. Yeah. Um, and I never forget anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the ambassador's like, well, it's too bad. Guess we won't be able to work out a deal today. Mm, yeah. And so he takes his leave, and Ori, <laughs> the assistant, immediately emerges. From All right, Ori, come on out. <laughs> And his face is red because he had been holding in Suppressicus cough the entire time. <laughs> All right, Ori, come on out. <laughs> he walks out from behind the curtain. And uh, he has his like pen and quill with him. And, uh, He's Dijkstra's been taking like, notes the whole time behind the curtain. <laughs> Dijkstra's like, I need you to dictate another letter to Philippa for me. Okay. So uh, in the letter, he informs Philippa the name of the Black Knight, mm, which he just mm. learned from the ambassador. Yep. And that Nilfgaard is now hunting him. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. That is interesting. Um, he notices that Nilfgaard apparently issues orders to murder people who fail to carry out orders, which, you know, kind of makes sense. But also mm-hmm. that uh, the knight who they're looking for, his orders were likely to capture Siri. Mm-hmm. So what's going on with that? So, Why would they be trying to get the guy that yep. was responsible for getting Siri? If if Siri is set to marry Emir, but in the next breath they're issuing death order, or like orders upon death for the guy who was likely sent out to catch Siri, 
something is not adding up here. <laughs> Something's amiss. Yeah. <laughs> this math does not add up. So we cut to Milva, who is now riding mm-hmm. south to catch up with Geralt. Mm-hmm. And um, she senses the presence of elves. Um, there's just a certain like sound, a vibe, oh, like they're singing. Oh, and yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, there's, yeah. there's always like operatic singing in Lord of the Rings when there's elves around. She whistles in greeting mm-hmm. um, and they all emerge and she knows this command and the commander. Mm-hmm. And um, she notices that these Goyatel seemed relatively well fed, well cared for. Um, the Goyatel mm-hmm. aren't really like that these days. Yeah, yeah. They're usually pretty ragtag and malnourished. They greet her with friendly terms. Mm-hmm. They actually call her Sorsa, which mm-hmm. means little sister. Mm-hmm. And they had started by calling her Doin, which just yep. means human. Yep. Um, they had graduated to um, Milva or Maria, but they don't like her name because mm-hmm. it doesn't really ring. It doesn't it's, like. It's not sing songy. It's not sing songy. It's not like really. It doesn't flow off the top yeah. for them. Yeah. And so they settled on. Um, Sorsa. Mm-hmm. Most of them call her that. Which means little sister? Little sister, yes. Yep. And they also, um, like she also mentions here that only a few people really know her by her yep. actual given name. This is, this is where she calls back to the fact that only a few people like Geralt, who she just met. Yeah, and so um, the unit informs her that they're, they're headed down the road mm-hmm. um, and they all look really serious mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like you know uh sealed for war you know yeah. they're they're ready to go into battle and she asked them and she doesn't get a response and she knows that the answer is yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then another unit rides in and mm-hmm. it's by a commander she even led by a commander she knows even better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um she notices that all of the elves that she had risked her neck to help the other day yeah. and who were resting in Brokelon are now all back they're there and they're like all like arms and slings, yeah, bandages yeah. on heads. They're like all ready to go. Kinda. And uh, <laughs> she tells them like, why did I risk myself for you if you were just going to rush back out there? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they say like, we can't leave our brethren out there. They're yeah. stuck. They're in a like trap. We mm-hmm. need to help them. Mm-hmm. It's all people like all people have to be on deck for this. Yep. Yep. And, uh, so we also um, just wanted to note that Toraviel is among the Squayatel here. Toraviel is the elf that Geralt head bashed mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Edge of the World. So she's always sort of around. Yeah. Um, she's a, a grounding force for us. So mm-hmm. we, we sort of feel a connection to the Squayatel. Yeah. Even, even our background, even Anse's background characters still are kind of fleshed out. <laughs> and they ask her, like, where are you going, Sorsa? And... Um, Maria is like, well, I'm riding south. And mm-hmm. they are all like, say no. Like, yeah. don't go there. Don't, yeah. Like, that's where all the bad stuff is happening. Yeah. And plus, there's a storm coming. Like, you Big don't want to go that way. Yep. And Maria knows that she has to ride out to Geralt to mm-hmm. warn him, mm-hmm. to help him, to help him figure out, like, this is not the way you want to go. Yeah. Yep. And we know here that she's going to be joining the party. Yep, yep. 
So then we cut to Kira, Tris, Philippa, and mm-hmm. Margarita, who are in Mount Monte Calvo, which is a castle that's been abandoned. They've just holed up in this place mm-hmm. and are sort of running the show here. And yep. so they're in the midst of casting a teleprojection spell mm-hmm. that takes a lot of energy and a yeah. lot of concentration. Like they're all sweating. Yes. Like the only one that's not like sweating profusely is Margarita Lowenteel. And I'm guessing that's because she's the rectoress at Ertuza and is mm. like constantly expending energy. Yeah. Or uh, she has magically removed all of her sweat glands, mm. which actually. Knowing her, both of those could be solid, (laughs) solid possibilities. So they're conjuring someone and they um, see an image that's showing up in the middle of this room Mm. and they're talking to someone in Nilfgaard and Mm -hmm. they keep focusing and it's like enhance, 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 focus, focus. And uh, this woman comes into view and she's kind of an uggo like mm-hmm. she has like no makeup mm-hmm. no sense of style mm-hmm. she's wearing like black and like they're all like really aghast they're like hasn't she ever heard of makeup like, like, doesn't she own like a better dress like yeah. she even has a hooked nose like mm-hmm. and what is she wearing um so they're all like gossiping about her mm-hmm. as she's mm-hmm. appearing in the yep. stellar projection yep. Um, one thing that I thought was really funny is it becomes clear that she is a more like typical representation of a witch. Yes. She's in a yeah. black gown yep. with a, a hat. And I like, think, I think a, one of her cats like wanders through the, she, <laughs> through the scene and, at one point. And, uh, like they whisper amongst themselves, like she even has a cat. She even actually has a cat. <laughs> like <laughs> she is a, a cartoon stereotype. And so, like, as they're focusing, um, she finally comes into view, and it's Mistress Asir from mm-hmm. the kingdom of Nilfgaard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Asir is like, this is weird that you've summoned me here. Like, you yeah. better have, like, a reason for this. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I want to know, like, why I'm here. So this is also, like, a magical Zoom call. It's not necessarily, <laughs> they're not actually physically there, but they're communicating with each other, probably over some sort of secure channel, maybe. And what is impressive is this was in the 90s before any of these kind of, like, That's true. Uh, calls existed. Video teleconferencing did not exist when Anse was writing this. Huh. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's wild. So, okay. Uh, other Zoom windows come into yeah, view. Yep. Um, so Somebody have, doesn't have their background filter on. Somebody has their mic muted. You know, there's a dog have, barking in the background. So more Zoom windows come into view. And it's <laughs> Sabrina Glesbizig, mm-hmm. uh, Francesca Findbear, mm-hmm. um, and also Shayla de Tankerville, who is a... Um, Sorceress from Kovir, which is a neutral kingdom. Okay. So I left her out because I had never heard her name before and I thought she was unimportant, but you're telling me that she is. Somewhat. Okay. Okay. So as they all um, are gathered, Sabrina is immediately upset because Francesca is here Mm -hmm. and Sabrina was really a gung-ho member of the... uh, Mm inquisition gang like the coup gang <laughs> yeah um <laughs> the coup gang um the the people that were staging the coup mm-hmm. at the ned and so she's like what the hell is she doing here like the nerve of 
Francesca to show her face. There was a side comment that Sabrina outheld a, a still like scarred and burnt arm uh, when accusing her. Um, so I'm thinking the, the burns have literally not healed yet. She says the blood in Garsang haven't even dried yet. Mm-hmm. The blood in Garsang hasn't even dried yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Philip is like, calm down, ladies, like calm down. Mm-hmm. And Sabrina, meanwhile, is also very upset that Asir Var Anahid mm-hmm. um, from Nilfgaard is here. Like that's the enemy. Yeah. Like yeah. so Sabrina's very uh, skeptical, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's like, okay, yeah. Like why are we here, Philippa? Can you explain yeah. that for us? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Philippa, like after several people describe like a seer and Francesca say like, we'll be in big trouble. Like if mm-hmm. Amir finds out that we're doing this. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Philippa is like, well, I want everyone to keep it a secret because of this. Mm-hmm. And so she, she starts her speech mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. like, magic is under threat mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. We've had this cooperation. We had, a unit we Mm -hmm. had Mm -hmm. a chapter we had a conclave Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and suddenly like in moments that was just over yeah yep like it went up in flames in a matter of minutes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we need something new we need something that's going to prioritize the future of magic yep yep and to protect it because we know that the last time magic was lost to the world it was the dark ages Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. we need magic to be protected yep so shayla de tankerville who is from kabir is like that's all great like but i have made it clear i don't really like to be involved in these things Mm -hmm, like there mm -hmm. are several people that are way more qualified Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she lists off the names of several sorcerers including eastrid i Mm -hmm. guess eastrid is just still kicking around like up north and um philippa here is like there's a reason why i summoned you and not Mm -hmm, them mm -hmm. because this is going to be a girl gang girl squad and (laughs) sorry (laughs) this is going to be a female only club Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. sabrina is like well that just smacks of misandry or or like female chauvinism was the term that she used yeah and uh but then everyone's like hey like this could actually be a good idea because no 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 no. she's got a point (laughs) men get too emotional like, this is basically the inverse of every yeah. uh, conversation that, like... Well, a woman women, can't be president. <laughs> women are too emotional to have high office. Yeah. Like, some of the quotes are just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Sabrina says, Men are psychologically unstable, too prone to emotions, not to be relied upon in moments of crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Margarita Lowenteel says, Ambition is the undoing of men. They always want what they know to be impossible and unattainable, and they are unaware of the attainable. Mm-hmm. So everyone's suddenly on board for this girl gang. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean to uh, be like, oh, these are girls. Like, they're not women. But I actually find girl gang uh, Girl gang amusing. just rolls off the tongue better. It's it's funnier. They're all girl bosses. Yeah. This is my fight song. <laughs> Take back my life song. And Shayla de Tankerville mentions, like, Oh, like, what are we going to call it? It could be a lodge. And the mm, lodge mm. seems to stick. Yeah. Do they actually refer to it as the Black Lodge? Just the lodge. Oh, damn. Lodge. Yeah. Um, okay. So 
like everyone's on board for like the female part of it. Then another caveat starts to present itself, mm-hmm. which is like, how are we all going to be part of this? Like we all mm-hmm. have different political agendas. Like mm-hmm. we all serve mm-hmm. different rulers. Are yep. we supposed to like resign our seats mm-hmm. serving kings to be part of this? And Philippa says, no, no, no. This is going to be an apolitical organization. Mm-hmm. Wasn't wasn't the other one supposed to be apolitical as well? Not really. Okay. Okay. Someone says like, well, when someone tells me they are politically neutral, I like to ask what politics in particular they are neutral on, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a, an interesting question. That is a good question. Um, And so Philippa responds, well, when the convent meets, we're to focus. Well, actually, Shayla de Tankerville says, like, I think what Philippa is proposing is when the convent meets or the lodge or whatever we're going to call it, wink, Mm -hmm. wink, Mm -hmm. nod, nod, we should call it the lodge. uh, (laughs) We are to focus on magic and the future of magic and Mm -hmm. everything else Mm -hmm. we're not going to talk about. We're just going to be like. Uh, we're at a family dinner and we have an uncle that is virulently you don't, racist. You we don't, just yeah. don't acknowledge it. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't bring up racial issues around drunk uncle Steve. And Philip is like, there's going to be 12 seats. Mm-hmm. And like you guys are invited. Like basically a seer of our Anahid was invited specifically. So there could be a representative from Nelfgaard. She's invited yep, to... Yep. Um, Bring one other friend to yeah, be part yeah. of the lodge. Does, does she have friends? Are there friends? She has in- her cat. She can bring her cat. <laughs> Mr. Business. <laughs> Philippa tells Francesca Findebear, oh yeah, you can fill a seat too. And she's like, well, I want two seats. I'm going to take two seats mm, then. Mm. Um, and Philippa's like, everyone okay with that? And everyone's like, okay with it. Mm. And um, Philippa says like, we'll meet again in 14 days. Mm, and mm. someone asks like, well, wait, like there's 12 seats. Who's going to fill the last one? And Philippa's like, interesting enough. We all know who it is. Interesting enough that you should mention it. The last seat is reserved for someone unconventional. They are death, life, chaos, rebirth. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's funny because like they said, oh, who's going to sit in the 12th seat? And I was like, oh, it's definitely Yen. And then she makes that description. I'm like, Oh, actually, that's not who I thought it would be, but we all know who it is anyways. Yeah. It's misleading. It's Siri, by the way. Oh, my gosh. You didn't have to say that. Oh, I mean, like, okay. Well, also, that's not a spoiler because I don't actually know, but anyway, I'm I'm fairly certain it's Siri. So we get a little glimpse of uh, the rats, another fun gang who are riding on a a wave of chaos Mm -hmm, through a village mm -hmm. on horseback. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, this man is witnessing um, this group ride through. He sees every member, uh, like Iskra, Gizzleher. We don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, People, and we, yeah, the rats, they're there. They're all there. The gang's all here. At the tail of the group is uh, a woman with a shaved head and a girl with uh, flaxen hair, and they're holding hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her name is Falca. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so uh, the rats are like kind of giggling at like the people that are sort of like begging for money, like, mm-hmm. oh, like they're praising them, like glorious rats, like we love you. And mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. just start throwing gold into the streets. The rats do. 
the rats. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this particular villager who we're seeing through his eyes is really uh, disgusted at the mm-hmm. rats. He's mm-hmm. not a fan and he is not going to be. You're not about to see this man like diving through the streets for pennies. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, to be fair, these were more like hundred dollar bills, from what I was understanding. They're, they're pretty sizable, maybe fifties or twenties. He's not gonna, he's not gonna be diving it after yeah, yeah. any coins. He's got some dignity. And so, um, later, a bunch of Nilfgaardians show up at the village asking about the rats, and mm-hmm. they're like, mm-hmm. "This group, did they ride through?" And uh, the villagers send them off in the wrong direction um, again yeah. because they're bought off. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. incentive to sort of send them off the trail. Yeah, these rats like to throw us money, like. And this villager is like, "They're lucky that they didn't ask me." Cause yeah, I would have told, told them. And so when he gets home, um, he sees his daughter and she has this uh, wood sword on mm. her back and she's dressed like Falca. Yep. And she's got a red bandana around her head. And yep. he remarks, um, I never hit my daughter before this day, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I smacked her. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, cool, man. Uh, sure. And so we cut for one final scene to Milva mm. and she is on her way south. Mm. To catch up with the Witcher before the storm breaks. Um, Slight side note: she did actually. She commented that she was going to leave the deer with the the uh, the Squiatel because she realized she didn't need it anymore because she needed to convince Geralt to not continue forward. So she assumed that she was going to be able to convince him otherwise and wouldn't need the rations for the rest of the trip. But that's where she's wrong. That's where she's wrong. And scene. (laughs) And scene. Ah, uh, that was a fun intro chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a good bit going on. Not not too much. It was just a nice easing in, you know, kind of like putting on a nice, comfortable pair of shoes. It's like we're eased into the water and it's pretty warm, pretty nice yeah, in yeah. here. Yeah. We're comfortable. Yeah, it's very comfortable. But we know there's some shit about to pop off. That's we're you know, as long as the water's warm, you know, I'm I'm cool with, you know, swimming through some waves. So. Um, with that though, are you ready to try our experimental, uh, or let's get, get experimental with our, with our drink selection tonight. You are mean you... like, like your drink? Cause I'm scared. <sighs> okay. Maybe, maybe you should be a little bit trepidatious is probably a better, better emotion that you might want to feel. All right. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> I, I think it, what I've came up with, I think is pretty good. Um, but we'll see. I'll be the judge of that. Oh, will you now? So nightcap? Yeah, I think it's time for a nightcap. Okay. Um, so I have mixed our beverages that uh, you have not tried yet. I tried it a little bit earlier. I think I actually came up with a decent recipe here um, for a drink that I have referred to or I have aptly named um, Heart of a Deer. Oh, yeah. interesting. I, I, I was originally going to go with like Deer Heart. Um, but I, it's a little too metal for a drink like this. It's actually, this drink actually seems kind of fruity and fun and kind of adventurous. Um, so would you like to know the recipe or do you want to try it first? I think we should try it and then I'll guess. Okay. So what, what are your, what are your notes on the smell or on the aroma? Definitely the blood orange. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, don't, don't mention ingredients yet. Well, I definitely also like smell some sort of like mint or menthol. Okay. Ish. Okay. Something floral. Mm. Um, 
so yeah like fruity and floral like mm-hmm. probably some grenadine in there oh maybe okay um shall we try it though yeah okay so cheers cheers It's it tastes too, it, like juicy fruit. It, I was going to say it's too sweet for you, isn't it? It tastes like bubble gum. It actually did. Yeah, it kind of, it does taste a lot like bubble gum, actually. I can't How did un- you do that? <laughs> it tastes like, it, it tastes like, like, uh, bubble, bubblicious, like fruit by the, like the, the gum by the foot. Wow. Actually. Okay. So that is that. Wow. So it's the blood orange liqueur. Okay. Hang on. So it is one part Jeremiah weed sarsaparilla. Oh, that's what mm-hmm. I was smelling. Mm-hmm. Um, one part blood orange liqueur, um, a couple of drops of bitters, um, and a dash of grenadine, um, mixed or like shakered, like a like a bartender cocktail shaker, um, and then topped off with three parts of raspberry seltzer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't hate it. Like, yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I was actually going for something a little bit more intense, but this is just kind of fun. <laughs> it well, and I can't untaste the bubble gum now. <laughs> as I'm drinking more of it, it actually loses that bubble gum for mm-hmm. me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I taste more of the uh, like blood orange rich liqueur. Yeah, yeah, and more of the like uh, the bourbon mm-hmm. rather than the sarsaparilla, which is what comes to like the forefront yeah yeah and, and like it's it it is kind of interesting because like it it kind of this drink edges on like too sweet but then it call then it then it pulls back it edges on too bitter and then it pulls back and then it edges on too herbal and then it pulls back and then the whole thing is like on like a like a background taste of bubble gum <laughs> which <laughs> <laughs> it's like duct taping the Mona Lisa to a Jackson Pollock. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I like experimenting. Yeah, um, this and, got a little weird, but that's okay. Like, it's the right color. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely like it's representing that uh, the hunt and uh, the fact that even if we think we know what we have going into. Um, baptism of fire mm-hmm. we don't know everything it's, yeah it's yeah. sometimes a surprise yeah, there's a okay. lot of surprises in this drink <laughs> and it's not they're not bad they're kind of fun they're just odd i'm a little unexpected. like kombucha girl right now i'm like yeah no that that's kind of the experience of drinking this <laughs> so this was entirely my own creation uh in we had probably like 30 minutes to prepare for this episode um so yeah like we just threw some shit together yep. and saw what stick. <laughs> it was just kind of like okay hunting deer uh what can we make uh we could spend a, you know some time trying to find like a wine or something but it's like uh you know the liquor store is literally around the corner let's get something mixed and make something let's see what happens is this what they're serving at the tavern um in brokolon I mean, if you're if you're really good friends with the bartender, <laughs> he's not super proud that he knows how to make this drink. This, this bartender is like he's got this in his back room. He's this like is, not going to make yeah, it in front of other customers. Like, this is this is the one that that like, 
yeah, he knows how to make this drink, but he doesn't he doesn't make it for just anybody. Can't you just order a nice beer? Just or order something? a beer or like a just some scotch or something? No? Okay. Oh, you want the okay. So I might need to change the name on this because it is I don't know, Heart of a Deer seems a little Although I don't know, Heart of a Deer could be endearing. Uh-huh. Oh gosh. Um so it could be kind of, you know, it's a heart of a deer. This would be actually this would be a fantastic like Valentine's Day drink actually. Well, you know, Valentine's Day it matters with the heart, it aligns. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it'd be a fant- and yeah, it's definitely it's the color of a rosé also. It's not like like blood deep red. Yeah, I was going for something more metal. Uh, this this is not it. <laughs> we'll have plenty of chances to make something a little more metal. Yeah, I kept trying things with Jägermeister, but it, that Jägermeister just kind of takes over everything. It doesn't yeah. mix well with other things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a very strong flavor profile. Well, you know, I, I like it. Okay. I, I like this. Okay, I was mostly worried I, I, like I was going to make it and serve it and you were just going to be like cuz like most of the things that I the most of the the mixed drinks that I just attempt with no recipe um you usually are not on board for. Well, you know you're trying some things out and I'm all for that. Yeah. So yeah, like I I'm not going to judge you and this at the end of the day has a lot of good stuff in it. So yeah. Okay. I, 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 like, I was going to say, consi- I like it. considering the fact that you referred to my earlier iterations as sweetened cough syrup, <laughs> like I was, I was kind of like, ooh, I don't know that that's a good. Well, okay. <laughs> I think everyone who had a bad experience with cherry flavored cough syrup as a mm, kid mm-hmm. doesn't react super well to like cherry, cherry flavored things. So I am the oddball in that. Um, so I, apparently I never had a bad experience with cherry flavored cough syrup as a kid, even though I, I did have to take it at times. Um, like I've known so many people that are like, oh, I can't stand cherry flavored things now because of the fact that I, I had to take like Dimetap like a whole bunch as a kid. And uh, like, yeah, I did too, but I, I just didn't, I, I guess I missed that trauma. <laughs> like, did I, like, did I find the one trauma that I missed from my childhood? <laughs> You're not picky with like taste and flavorings. I've always had problems with like just getting nauseous over mm-hmm. things and I've had food poisoning a bunch. I forgot so. to tell you, speaking of picky. So you, you just described how unpicky I am when it comes to flavor. Um, one of my coworkers brought in uh, Jocko energy drink. So Jocko is um, he's a he's a media personality. He's like he's basically Joe Rogan, um, but he's a former Navy SEAL. Um, he's real big into like self motivation, self self help type books. He has a podcast. Um, he's written a couple of books. He has an energy drink now. Um, he made it like all super like keto and like. Um, clean energy and like clean all energy. like yeah yeah <laughs> it's <What>? yes <laughs> those are yep you your reaction is exactly the same as mine um i saw it sweetened with monk fruit oh okay cool i i like monk fruit sweetener it, it's good i had the black cherry vanilla it i there's i it <laughs> oh so i am also not picky when it comes to energy drinks um, I will I will drink almost any flavor of energy drink except for the peach tea bang. That is that is a crime against humanity. This one actually took that. 
It somehow had a cross. But you ever walk into a you ever walk into a building that's currently under construction and it has that um, that like plastery smell of like drywall. Yeah, it tasted like that. With a hint of black pepper on the top of it, like ground black pepper. You know, I'm sure everyone wants to hear more about the yeah, sorry. energy drink, it was, but I, I think that we It we was an experience. I'm sorry. I wanted to talk about it. I needed to process it. I had trauma from that, okay? I didn't have trauma from the, the cherry uh, cough syrup as a child. Anyways, um, shall we move into our last call? Our last call saved rounds alibis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we probably should move on to productive things. Um, what were your thoughts on this chapter? Well, okay. So I love Milva slash Maria Baring, and I have been trying to give you the fewest spoilers possible. I am absolutely here for her. Um, she is absolutely awesome. What What are your first impressions of her? So, I mean, you you definitely kind of spoiled me a little bit with Girl Geralt. Mm. Huh? I didn't tell you that. No, no, no. Like, I mean, you kind of like, like you kind of broke that, that, uh, that, uh, that filter for me and that I can't unsee it now. Oh, <laughs> like, actually, no, no, it's fine. Okay. I'm sorry about that because that was actually only something that occurred to me in the second read through. Um, yeah, and I don't know that I would have picked it up uh, without it, but like it's definitely there, and I definitely can't unsee it. Let me tell you some things I like about Maria Baring mm-hmm, slash Milva. Mm-hmm. I like that she's so different than any other woman we're introduced to in this series in that mm-hmm. she has a much different background. She is a hunter and a very independent person. She is a badass. Mm -hmm. She is someone who really doesn't fear a lot. And like, I love, you know, female like figures in a male dominated Mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. So first of all, she wins points in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. But just her expertise. And I really love the way that Anse structured this chapter because Mm -hmm. you're really able to get to know her through this anecdote about hunting. Yes. You know, you learn about how she hunts and how she's very careful about her equipment and her Mm -hmm. arrows Mm -hmm. and how she knows a lot about it and how it's intrinsic to herself and her, like, sense of being. Mm -hmm. And, like, we really get to know her and we don't get to know her through any other characters. Like, she's not filtered through Geralt. Yes, yes, we're not seeing her through a lens of anyone else. It It is literally just raw her. There's not a lot of point of view characters in yeah, the no, there saga. Isn't. So the fact that we get to know her, um, like I do really like that Anse invests into female characters mm-hmm. and not just the same kind of characters. Yeah, yes. Like we have Yennefer, we have Siri, we have mm-hmm. Milva. Mm-hmm. Like these are all very different people. Yeah. So this is a very dynamic range of female characters. They're not like all one archetype. Um I yeah I really loved the display of competency. Um, I mean that's that's definitely a thing something you don't really see um, in in female characters. Um, they're usually background or subsequent in some way. 
what's really cool about this is that we really get a sense of who she is. Like mm-hmm, she's not mm-hmm. one dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the like point of view and getting to see what she's thinking and getting to know like what she's confident at. But at the same time, like we don't get to know a lot of characters at the level that we yeah, get to know yep. Milva. So yeah. we see that the author's intent is for us to really get to know her. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really love about it. Yes. Um, it's also amazing to me, too, that we are four books in. Yes. Four books in. Five. This is the fifth book. This is book number five. Yep. We are five books in. And he's introducing characters. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. like, like, isn't isn't this bus already going? Why are people getting on it? Like, but so I was going to ask, like. So we know that he likes introducing characters like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he usually frames the story through these newcomers like Applegat in the beginning of Time of Contempt. But we don't know like how big of a role they're going to play in, yeah, in yep. the plot moving forward. Yeah, a lot of times they're just kind of red shirt throwaway characters. But I, you know, like right from the beginning, I knew Milva wasn't that. So, yes. so what is yep. your what is your thought? How do you think she's going to play into the party dynamics? Um, she's going to be the ranger, or the no, she's going to be the ranger. She's a little bit of a um, like a rogue. Yeah, yeah, she's the rogue. She's the rogue ranger, uh, damage dealer, sniper, um, kind of. She's the lone wolf. Uh, that kind of comes into the fold to to help the party out. Yeah, I'm a little too on the nose. I know. I, I think that um, I want to talk a little bit about Milva and Geralt's relationship because okay. we get a good sense of who they are and how they interact mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. chapter. Um, so like Milva starts out this chapter, like when she's relaying her experience, she's really angry about having to help him. Yeah. Yeah. And like, she's really won over by Geralt through the course of this. And why do you think she's won over by Geralt's display of emotion about Siri? Um, it's, Ooh, Ooh, she got some daddy issues. (laughs) I mean, so we learned that um, we learned that she was very close to her father um, because her, you know, because she didn't like stepdad. Um, her dad taught her how to hunt. Um, so it probably struck kind of a personal chord when Geralt showed, uh, you know, a, a, such a heavy display of emotion for the potential of losing um, this younger girl that had been like a daughter to him. And even even though she didn't really know that this girl had been basically like a daughter to him, like she's still moved by his caring for her. Yeah, I think that she was won over by his display of emotion, which shows that he really cares for this girl that he's looking for. Mm-hmm. But also, like, he's so genuine in this yeah. chapter. Like, yep. more than we've ever seen Geralt be yeah, yes. really vulnerable and open. And I think that you can't help but feel, like, a little bad for him in this chapter because he's so broken down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is this is a level of vulnerability that we've never really seen in Geralt before. And I think she kind of taps into that vulnerability. Or I don't want to say taps into it, but I think she senses it and sees it. Um, and kind of kind of sees the the soft squishiness behind it. 
Yeah. And I think that the fact that she's able to turn so, so much from her initial impressions of him shows a lot. Like, and the fact that she's willing to join him and at almost the drop him. of a hat, like, <laughs> which is, is kind of, kind of one of the things that I do also love about the chapter is that like, there is almost like no, there's like no transition between like her being like all grumpy and like cantankerous and like doesn't want to help. And then all of a sudden, like, oh my God, like there's a little girl that Geralt cares about. Um, that's kind of like a daughter to him that he's really concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and now I suddenly want to help, you know? Yeah. I think what's so interesting is that Anse has mastered um, creating a character that has these walls built up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which all of us do. All yeah, of us yeah. have walls that are built up to protect us. Mm-hmm. And we build these walls, um, you know, in childhood and we continue yep, to build yep. them up. And I think... Geralt recognizes that in Milva and we recognize that in Milva yes. because it's relatable. <laughs> yes, it's very relatable. And I think that's one of the things I like the most. Um, I was thinking about like, why do I like Jennifer so much? Why do mm-hmm. I relate mm-hmm. to, you know, their struggles and like trying to relate to each other and like in love and friendship. And I think it's because I can relate to building up these defenses. And yes. Yeah. Really at the core of, yourself you're just wanting to have human connection but it's hard it's yes. hard to know what to trust <laughs> yes. right <laughs> yes um and i think Ansi is really good at creating these very human very vulnerable characters that build up these walls to protect themselves and they mm-hmm. have these mm-hmm. fronts that are very different for how they from how they are on the inside yes which is a very relatable human experience this is all something that like we do um this is all something and we ultimately we all we all just want to be seen, man. Like we all just want to, we all just want to be seen. You know, we just want to be seen for that, that squishy, lovable interior that I don't think necessarily always comes through because of our uh, outward walls. Um, and so like that makes for really relatable fictional characters. When you see characters that have established external defensive walls that, have a squishy gooey lovable interior yeah and i will say that Geralt's relationship with maria slash milva is mm-hmm. different from his relationship with almost any other female character yeah yeah and i think it's because it's one of friendship purely friendship there's mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. other relationship there um I don't mean to spoil anything. Geralt's a little bit of a philanderer in that He's regard. A, yeah. So <laughs> he is not romantically linked with Milva. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. is not like he doesn't view her as a daughter figure. It's just a friendship. Yeah. It's it's really more of a. Um, so because they are very similar, he definitely views her as a peer. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he he views like. So I think he views. We've seen his his reflection against female sorcerers. Sorceresses, sorry. Um, Sorceresses, you don't have to say female. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> sorry. You're fine. Uh, the, the heart of the deer hits a little hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it. Uh, um, we've only ever seen him reflected against female sorcerers. We've only seen him reflected <laughs> against sorceresses. And he's he's always seen them as peers in their field. This is the first time we've ever seen him interact with uh, someone he would consider to be in a similar 
like competency field as him. Um, and so he views her as a peer among his own peers. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like Milva is, is more relatable to Geralt than yes. almost, almost any other like uh female character he's come across because she just has the same way of being. She yes, has the absolutely. same walls. Yep. She um you know, her backstory is sort of brought into the story here because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. we learn that she was like um like hung, like she was like being hanged and Yes, actually. Um Ethne was the one who saved her, mm-hmm. the leader mm-hmm. of the Dryads. Yep, yep. And so we know she owes a debt to the Dryads. So she has this sort of like second life. And Yeah, yep. Geralt also has had this. Like yeah, he's yep. been on the brink of death many times and then <laughs> He's on his like eighth life. <laughs> Forget second life. <laughs> but also think about like how close he was to death at the Ned. Yeah. You yes, know, like yes. having come back from the brink from like a broken femur from, you know, escaping with his life very narrowly. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. he's a changed man. Yes, and absolutely. And so I think both Milva and Geralt are in the same boat on this. Yes. Yeah, I, I very much would agree with that as well. Um, the other thing, too, is that Geralt and Milva both have, like, they have the similar ability to get ins at places where normally other I don't want to say people but I'm going to say people because I can't think of any other word that, to describe them um, they have inns in places where other people don't yeah like they're allowed in Brokolon both of them and they're the only basically the only two people that have kind of free passes into and out of Brokolon there was a little moment mm-hmm. um, that I didn't mention in the summary that I wanted to mention here. Okay. Because when Ethne asks uh, Milva to help Geralt, she says, like, uh, like he's important to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Don't yep. tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Because, like, Geralt is always like, I'm not really. They just kind of let me. They tolerate. They tolerate me. me. <laughs> but like Ethne is actually like looking out for him. Yeah. And yeah. in the same way, she's looking out for Milva. Mm-hmm. So like I thought that was kind of interesting that we don't always know like how people view us. Yeah. And like yeah. Geralt is very cared for yeah. by the Dryads. And I, I really love that actually. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely missed that. So yeah, thank you for pointing that out. In your second reading, you really come across a lot. Yeah. Like, that's why I enjoy it. I'm like, I'm, I'm free to oh. observe the other things. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, I did want to mention a little bit about what's going on in the rest of the plot. So mm-hmm. Dijkstra is just sort of interesting because we yeah. get a little taste of yep. what he's up to. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on like Dijkstra and his ruminations in this chapter? Dijkstra is just fun in this chapter. Um, it's definitely kind of fun to see him like piece the puzzle together a little bit. Yeah. Um, because he's definitely absolutely doing that. Um, and he's piecing it. To, he, one of the beautiful things that I love about Dijkstra is that he, he's, he always figures things out in ways that like, you don't realize that he has figured something out um, just in like the simple way that the, the ambassador asks for uh, the, the, the black Knight to be handed over 
as a as a as an extradition treaty um tells Dijkstra a ton of information because he just he knows how to piece things together like that and I just I absolutely love that like he's really like slimy in a way but you enjoy it fun slimy though Very like fun. yeah and he's a little bit of like him and ori have this really comedic <laughs> exchange like oh, yes i love him and ori like, they have this really fun dynamic where like ori's his assistant but the other thing is that ori was sort of correcting him when he was writing to philippa mm-hmm. like he mm-hmm. wanted to say like sons of bitches and ori is like Philippa doesn't like that language. She doesn't like the body language. <laughs> yes. Um, they, they were a bit of a buddy cop to us. Yes, they really are. And it, it's funny because like Dijkstra, Dijkstra like does take himself exceedingly seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very deadly serious about who he is and what he does and why he does what he does. Ori does not take him that seriously. Um, Ori knows like him too. I mean, well. it's probably his brother. Like we're fairly certain it's his brother. Um, most brothers, I think, even if they're the less successful one, like probably no. You know, you've seen, you've seen your your brother. I say this not having brothers. Um, you've seen your brother stick a rock up their nose when they were three, and then have to get it surgically removed. Yeah, like it's hard to necessarily take someone super seriously as like the leader of the free world when you've seen them in the ER trying to get skittles removed from their their well, their right. sinus yeah. cavities. Why do you think that Geralt like says leave the Witcher and leave Melva alone? Ooh, I. Why why does Dijkstra ask or why does Dijkstra say to leave Geralt and Milva alone? I well so first off I think he says leave Geralt alone because I there's a part of me that thinks that like oh well he knows that Geralt has a card to play but he doesn't know what it is yet to quote Gandalf. Um but I think it's more that he hopes that he eventually gets his own personal revenge on Geralt. And I think that's the only reason why he doesn't just have like someone assassinate him. Um, but I also think at least as far as Milva, I think he doesn't, I think he, I think he actually sees Milva as a collection or like an intelligence gathering capability. Um, I think he sees her as both because like, he knows that she's relaying information to Geralt. So yes. it's like both ways. It's he like, can he can feed her things. Um and he can poison the well a little bit and control the narrative as to what Geralt knows. And I also do think he sees things as a bit of a game. And like I think that he's for whatever reason not eager to remove Geralt from the board. Yes, yeah. Like I said, I think that really may come down to just him wanting his own personal revenge on Geralt. That's probably part of it. But I mean, sometimes, hey, any reason to keep so any reason to stay alive is still like a reason to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if it's a shitty one, like, hey, I want to kill him personally later. But he could also like order them to capture him and bring them back. So there's there's a reason that he wants him still on the board. Yeah, yeah, and I I so. Ooh, I think he may also realize that Geralt is actually probably the quickest way to f- to find Ciri. Well, yeah, that's another big reason. Yeah, because I know that like he knows that Geralt is very good at finding Ciri. 
Like, that's just what he does. So, like, he may just kind of be leaving him out saying, like, I'm just going to track him. Yeah. I'm just going to follow where he goes and he'll probably lead me back to Siri. That's fair. Yeah. Another question Beekster brings up because mm-hmm. he ends up being sort of the avatar for us in that he's asking a lot of questions at this point. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, he is our walking exposition. Yes. Um, I love him Deekster for it. asks like, why isn't Geralt asking about Yennefer? And like Geralt does sort of Geralt does. He does ask a little bit, but it's not like overt. Like he's not mentioning any names. He's just asking if there's a sorceress with Siri. So what do you think Geralt is thinking about Siri at this moment? Um, what do you think his thought process is about her and feelings are about Yennefer at this point? Um, so I think Geralt is not asking about Yennefer by name, at least, um, because I think he's afraid. He's afraid that of, of which side she took. Mm-hmm. He's afraid of who she's wrapped up with. Um, and he's afraid of getting lumped in necessarily with her. Um, he's afraid of being like he knows that she got even if she didn't get involved, there's a whole bunch of things going on that people may be of the perception that she is involved in something that maybe she's not. Um, and I think he wants to make that judgment for himself. Um, mm. So I think he's trying to find her without alerting to the fact that he is interested in finding her. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that he's a little afraid of where she is. Like, I think yeah, that, that- too. There's a lot of trepidation on his part and also just like a lot of uncertainty and like he Mm -hmm. wants to know, but at the same time, does he want to know? Yeah, because there may be don't don't ask questions you don't want to learn the answer to. Um, Yeah, he may he may he may also learn that he uh, like he's probably also afraid that he's going to find out that the only reason that Yen got reinvolved in his life was to get back to Siri. Um, and that she may have been working working him as an angle as well, and he was very vulnerable to her right before right before everything went to shit. Um, and he may be regretting that, or trying not to yeah. regret it at least. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities there. Um, finally, I do want to talk about the uh, the lodge or um, mm, the gathering mm-hmm. at Monte Calvo. So there were a lot of moving pieces here. Yeah, yep. Um, but it was really a coming together of all of the sorceresses we've met and a few new characters. So mm-hmm, Asir, mm-hmm. Var, Anahid, and um, also um, we have a few others that we haven't met before. Yep. yep. Um. Like Shayla to Tankerville. Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on the scene and what what factor do you think the lodge is going to play in the plot to come? Mm. Um ooh, sorry, I got a little hot there. Um so I did really like the scene, like I said, because magical zoom call. Um and it's just fun to watch. Um but I liked seeing the sort of like attempt at recovering the culture of magic from the events at the Ned. Um, and we get to see like 
a further push. And like I said, during the summary section, like, like wasn't the count, the original council supposed to be apolitical, but everybody just kind of got political anyways. But you, you had pointed out that no, it wasn't necessarily always supposed to be apolitical. Um, I, I, I think the big thing that we'll end up seeing, and maybe we won't see it during the books, but like the big struggle is that like, it's almost impossible for people to become apolitical, especially if they, they serve in any sort of like, like um, advisory capacity to a Royal consort. Um, How do you sort out your agendas and your loyalty? Exactly. Exactly. When you live, eat and breathe within, you know, a, 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 an empire that you probably are going to start establishing loyalty to because they feed you, pay your bills and keep you sheltered and respect your opinion. Um, so it's almost impossible to remain apolitical to like, there's something going on that may be threatening that. Okay. Well, I can't make an apolitical decision on that or an apolitical advisement on that because that may fuck up my bag. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, honestly, like that's just kind of what it comes down to is that like everybody likes to maintain their own bag. Like, um, so I think that that may be something that we'll see come down the road, um, in that it may not be a realistic goal. Well, I think that it's a very interesting like move by Philippa. And I think that like, it makes sense to have a consortium of women mm-hmm. because women seem to be like dominating the yeah. magical realm. So yes. it seems clear that like they would be the ones leading this charge. Yeah. Yep. Um, at the same time, I think Philippa has clear flaws. Like mm-hmm. Philippa's vision has always had clear flaws. Absolutely. So I think her, her creation in this way is going to have more flaws yeah. Um, yep. So I think we just have to see how it will play out. I just think it's very interesting that we have this uh, girl gang. Yeah. Jam. Yeah. Um, and I really do like I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out for her. Um, so two things that I wanted to point out uh, also. Uh, I really like Philippa a lot more in the books. Really? Yeah. Um, in the game. I mean, she's fun in the game, too. But like she's. She's very active and very involved in the books. Um, like she's more of a. It's weird because they they reference her as like a big mover shaker uh, of the world in the game, um, but they don't really we don't really see it that much. Um, we do, I think, and maybe she did more things in the Witcher one and two games, but the, we don't. I talk, don't think she. We don't talk about the Witcher them. One and two. <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, so, like, we don't really see a whole lot of that. We don't see it, at least. Um, And in the books, we see a lot more of it. Like, she is making initiatives within the magical community. We see her, like, literally pushing for political policy changes. We see her. She is very active and very involved and very much all about the thing. You know what I mean? Um, We don't see that as much in the game. Um, and I, I like, I like involved, active Philippa. Yeah. Like not that I think it's really of any consequence, but I think it's really interesting that Philippa is also, um, like she has this like sexuality that's 
in question mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it's mentioned like one of the other sorceresses oh says, yeah they like, did throw that casual sexual orientation <laughs> they did throw that casual jab at her i forgot about that and like i just think that's very interesting because i know anse kind of has played with that like mm-hmm. tris marigold has yep. experimented <laughs> yep, with yep. other women um like siri and missile's relationship even though it's not ideal like it does suggest something about mm-hmm. serious sexuality. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like Philippa's sexuality is brought into the question here. Yeah. Yep. So I just, I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think all of that is like without problems. And yeah. Yeah. But like, I just think it's very interesting that there are other characters that have like non straight. Yeah. That is that, that it, and, especially in like fantasy writing that's not something you see a lot of like um it's interesting actually we have only seen huh we have only seen female female characters we have not necessarily seen any male male characters well i think that it's less threatening yeah that's true <laughs> that is very true i i definitely i mm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, because like I'm thinking about like any of the male characters in there. I, I'm. Oh. <laughs> there, there's a big like fandom yep, for um, uh, girls and dandelion, but personally, I don't see it. But yep. it's yep, like I'm you still know, straight. <laughs> the the fandom, I understand. I'm not. It. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'm not here for that. <laughs> I mean, someone actually so, created a mod. I I don't. I don't beguile or fault anyone who is here for that. I just, it just doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I totally get that. Like, but someone created a mod that makes like Dantlion a like love a romantic interest love in three. Um, <sighs> but they did it by like um, mapping Dantlion to Triss. Oh my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> So it's a little weird because, because they had to do all voiceover of and like it had all of her animations. It has so. all the wireframe animations of Triss. So like <laughs> he moves very much like Triss. And it's, oh my you God. You guys got to look it up. If you uh, haven't seen it, you have to look it up. It is, it is just, just, be, oh, so it, the re, and I, I, okay. So it, it delves into the stuff of nightmares, but the reason it delves into the stuff of nightmares is because it delves into the uncanny valley. It does, not yeah. Be- it not does. because it's like it, also like I mean it's it's kind of dandelion, ugh. <laughs> like video game dandelion. You don't like video game dandelion. I don't like video game dandelion, but also because it's so heavily uncanny valley. Because dandelion's face gets really robotic during like the, <laughs> the lovemaking scenes. Oh, You're God. just kind of like. No. Ah, it's like a moving mannequin that Geralt is now having sex with. <laughs> we got a little off track. We got a lot off track. Um, but I, I do want to mention, so the Lodge mentions that um, Philippa specifically mm-hmm, says mm-hmm. that she knows who the 12th seat of the Lodge yeah. it, should it's go Siri. to. It's Siri. And it's I, Siri. So again, another force that wants mm-hmm. to take control or possession of her i don't think they want to take control or possession of her i actually i think it's more because she is a direct tap into the magical realm um she's a direct tap into the magical chaotic energy of the universe um and so she they probably view her as having like a closer and more intimate link with you know 
what the magic wants, <laughs> for lack of a better description. I think they view her as a key source mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. future of magic. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's one of the major reasons. But other, otherwise, it's... Uh, but, um, you know, I think it's also because they view Siri as this very important figure overall. It's not just to the future of magic. It's yes, to the future yes. of the world. So. Yeah, yeah. And because there are so many powers that want her and want her in their corner... You know, I mean, she's probably going to have some say and some sway somewhere. There's also, um, so at the very end, Milva comes into contact with some Squayatel units. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everyone's riding in, like providing reinforcements for this battle that seems one-sided. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, what is your view of the state of the war right now? Like, what do you think is happening? Oh, it's not good. <laughs> For who? <laughs> Mostly the Squiatel. Um, So, right now, it definitely very much seems like the only people actively fighting, the act, the only active combatants are the Squiatel. Um, Because right now, it seems to be kind of like a, not really, kind of just a ceasefire um, mostly in that Nilfgaard has kind of already marched on almost everything. Um, and all the things that it hasn't quite marched on yet are kind of playing ball with them. Um, so there's no need to march on anything yet. Um, so it's kind of like a an unofficial armistice um, in that, like, well, if, you know, if Redania isn't necessarily our ally... But they're still like doing the things we want. You know, we don't necessarily need to push too hard for an out and out invasion yet because Redania is a big power and that's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of energy. Um, so maybe right now, if you're Nilfgaard, if you're a mirror, like don't push too hard just yet. Yeah. But that day will come. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting part of the war because mm-hmm. right now, like, there's definitely offensives going on. There's definitely a ploy by both sides. But it's yeah. like, um, really, it's just like the little guys getting in the crosshairs. Yes. And that's why the Squayatel are getting decimated yeah, right now. Yeah, because so they have no support from anyone. No. Um, they are literally just completely on their own. They are abandoned entirely. Um, even the, the the elves at Dol Blathana can't really offer them any support. It, uh, From what I remember of the language of it, they weren't even allowed to allow them to come back to Dol Blathana. Um, so they're just fighting to stay alive right now. Yeah. Yay. So our our table is really set. We are ready to move mm-hmm. into the rest of Baptism of Fire. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen in the next chapter? I'm excited for Drunken Dwarven Paladin because we need to have one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, or just Drunken Dwarven Meat Shield um, because that's coming. Like some someone is coming. I'm hoping it's Zoltan. Um, what? I'm trying to read your face. Oh, oh, maybe it is. Oh, you're terrible at poker. I was laughing already Uh because you were saying Dwarven Paladin and I can't like even imagine what that is. I mean, it's okay. It's not super common. (laughs) 
actually, so one of my favorite D and D characters that I ever made was a goblin paladin, and he he was a paladin. So goblins are naturally semi evil, yeah. so they almost can't be paladins. But the his backstory was that he accidentally killed the actual paladin. And the paladin's deity was like, no, he had a fucking holy mission. You're taking this <laughs> shit over. You're going to do his paladin-y holy mission. So you're putting that armor on, even though it's three sizes too big for you. <laughs> so you you think a dwarf is going to join the party? Of course. You have to have a dwarf. Okay. So who else is going to join the party? So we're going to have a dwarf. We're going to have an elf. But the elf usually fills like a... Oh, no, we need an elven caster. You need a mage. Elven mage. Yeah, that that's where they'll fit. Yep. Okay. And so I say these things with a little bit of like tight, you know, trite cliche about them because they are kind of trite, you know, party cliches for like D&D and or fantasy. But also fully realizing that this is one of like the original fantasy series, apparently. <laughs> and, oh, gee. Yeah, and so like the reason it's a cliche is because Somebody did it first, and I'm, you know, I, I think these were kind of them. So I guess we'll just have to see how good your predictions are in yeah. chapter two. So I call Elvin, Elvin Caster, um, Dwarven Meat Shield, Drunken Dwarven Meat Shield. Um, maybe. So we got a rogue. We got a stabby DPS guy. We have an elven caster. We have a dwarven meat shield. Um, we need a healer. But I don't necessarily know who that would be. That might be... I could, I could see a halfling. I think we're going to have a halfling in the party as well. Any more predictions for other characters? But like, halflings you, aren't good healers. Okay. Any characters you already know of that you think will come into contact with? Oh, oh no. Dandelion. You have a bard. They're a healer. Well, we already know Ish. Dandelion joining the party. Ish. <laughs> They're healer-ish. So how the timeline works out, I think, mm-hmm. is that remember how at the end of like chapter six yes. of Time of Contempt. Dandelion, he rides off with Dandelion. Yeah, Dandelion wasn't going to come along, but then he comes mm-hmm. back from meeting with Milva. Yes. So I think he was meeting with Milva. He comes back mm-hmm. and then Dandelion's like, I'll go with you. So yes. Dandelion and Geralt are already on the road and yes. Milva is going to ride up. Going to meet them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's so that's kind of what I was members. anticipating. Yep. So um, you're calling Zoltan. You yeah. think he's going to show yeah, up? Yeah, I think he's going to show up. Okay, we'll see. Okay. Um, we don't really know any elves, though. All right. There might be another character you're not even thinking of that you'll be super surprised when you see, but I'm not. No, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm never surprised. Okay, I'm I'm always surprised. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to find out in chapter two. Yep. So, are you excited? I'm very excited, right. actually. So, but until then, uh, until next time, uh, the fire's getting a little low. And, uh, well, I think the fire is getting a little low and, uh, I think it's time we finally pack up our deer, hit the road and find those crazy kids. Get this party into some dungeons and some dragons. Yes. Okay. 
So until then, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night. <laughs>